0: Your Bible, if you will, to the book of Revelation, to Revelation chapter 4. As I was praying about what uh, the Lord would have us study together this morning, He put on my heart to have us look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And when I arrived in the first service today, just to hear the worship, it's very obvious the Lord is speaking to all of our hearts uh, about something today. I want to talk to you today about the hope of heaven, the hope of heaven, and the passage of scripture we want to study together is in Revelation 4 and 5, and as we come to study, uh, let's bow our hearts in prayer, and as we come to pray, you'll do me a great favor, if you'll just hold your open Bible out in front of you, that would be so wonderful. Let's pray, can we? God, there are no words in all the languages of the world combined to thank you enough for the book that we hold in our hands. This book we hold is the greatest book in the world. It is the greatest book in human history for this book. And only this book is the word of the living God. As we hold it in our hands today, we are mindful of Psalm One thirty-eight, which tells us that you've exalted your word above your name. As we hold this book in our hands, we are mindful of Psalm 119, which tells us that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. As we hold this book in our hands, we are mindful of Hebrews 4, that the word of God is quick and powerful. It is living and active. As we hold this book, we are mindful of Isaiah 55, that the word that goes forth from you will never, ever return void. We thank you, Lord, as we study this book, that we hear your voice. And so we pray today that we would hear you speaking to each and every one of us loudly and clearly. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, and hearts to obey. We thank and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everyone said amen. In 1678, there was a pastor in London who wrote a book. The pastor's name was John Bunyan, and the book he wrote was called The Pilgrim's Progress. Little did he know Little did anyone know how famous that book would become. That book is an allegory. It's an illustration of what the Christian life is all about. The main character of the book is called Pilgrim, called Christian. And he's on a pilgrimage from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And in his journey, he often encounters hardship, and difficulty, and confusion, and hard times. And in the Pilgrim's Progress, Christian learns that whenever he's experiencing those hardships and difficulties, the thing that would give him hope, the thing that would keep him going, the the thing that would encourage him the most, was when he would think of heaven. And we are pilgrims. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, the Bible tells us that those who have gone before us, they thought of themselves as strangers and pilgrims. And in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, the Bible tells us that you and I are strangers. We are pilgrims. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. And when you look at the world around us, it is very confusing. It is very perplexing. It is very troubling. When you look at those hundreds of Christians that were killed in Sri Lanka, when you look at the shooting just yesterday down in San Diego County at the synagogue, when you look at the wickedness and immorality of our nation, you can begin to think that things are out of control. Or when you look at your own life and your own circumstance and your own situation, it could be easy in the middle of the hardship and the difficulty to lose heart. But God's people through the centuries have learned what Bunyan explained in the Pilgrim's Progress, that when you go through those times, the things that will encourage you the most is when you think of heaven. Indeed, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 tells us to set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. That when we encounter difficulties and hardship, when we look at the world, the thing that will encourage us the most and keep us going on the path of the pilgrim is to think of heaven. And if there's anyone who knew about that, it was the Apostle John. As the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, He is around 100 years of age. And John, the tradition tells us, outlived all the rest of the apostles. He outlived Peter and James and Andrew and Philip and Matthew and Bartholomew and Thaddeus and Jude the last. He he outlived the apostle Paul. All of them were dead and gone. But John was alive. And John had seen many things change and many things happen. And as he writes the book of Revelation, he's out in the middle of the ocean on the island of Patmos wondering, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the church? And if there ever was a moment where he needed encouragement and hope, it was then. The Apostle John later in his life was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And the emperor at that time was a man named Domitian, and he thought he was God. And so he had erected a huge statue in Ephesus, and he asked all of its citizens to bow down to that statue and offer incense to that statue and say, Caesar is Lord to that statue. And John refused to do so. And for that, John was arrested and he stood trial before Domitian and Domitian said you're going to say Caesar is Lord you're going to offer incense to Caesar and John refused to do so and so Domitian heated up a huge vat of hot oil and he was going to burn John alive in that hot oil not in the Bible but the tradition church history tells us that when they put John in that hot oil he didn't burn as God had protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, so he protected John. As God had protected Daniel in the lion's den, so he had protect, protected John. The emperor was so furious, he banished John to this island called Patmos. Not an island like Hawaii, it was nothing more than a big rock. Six miles across, 10 miles from the top to the bottom, totally barren and lifeless. And there John was all alone. He was praying on a Sunday morning, wondering what's happening to my country. Wondering what's going to happen to the church when I die, when I leave. Desperately needing a word from the Lord. Desperately needing hope. And what happened, Revelation 1 tells us, is that Jesus appeared to him. He had a vision of the risen Exalted Lord Jesus Christ. It was a vision of Jesus standing among seven lampstands, holding seven stars in his right hand. And the seven lampstands represented seven churches. Seven's the number of totality and completion in the Bible. So the church throughout all of church history, the seven stars represented the seven leaders of the seven churches. So in his hand was representative of all the pastors, all the leaders of the church throughout history. It was a vision to encourage John, John. I, Jesus, am standing right in the middle of my church. I have all of the leaders in my hand. And Jesus says to John in Revelation 1 and verse 19, write the things you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. It's an outline for the book of Revelation. Write the things you have seen. Write the vision so everybody knows. I'm the Lord of my church. Write the things which are seven letters to seven churches which picture what church history would be like. He wrote a letter first to the church at Ephesus, which was the careless church that lost its first love. And when you read church history, that's exactly what happened when John died. He wrote a second letter to the church at Smyrna, which was the courageous church in the face of persecution. When you read church history, that's exactly what happened. He wrote a letter to the church at Pergamos, which was the compromising church where the church would marry with the world, which was exactly what happened in church history. He wrote a letter to the church at Thyatira, which was the corrupted church, which is exactly what happened in church history. He wrote a letter to the church at Sardis, which was the comatose church, a church where he said, you're alive, but you're dead where the church in church history would almost die. The light would almost go out, but then God would read life back into the church. So there was a letter to the church at Philadelphia, the Cleaving Church, to which there was an open door. God says, behold, I set before you an open door, and nobody can close that open door. And when you look at church history, the great missionary movements, that's exactly what happened. But the last letter to so the church of Laodicea the complacent church the church that's not hot it's not cold it's lukewarm the church where Jesus says I'm going to spit you out of my mouth the church that says I'm rich i don't have need of anything and Jesus said you don't know you're poor you're naked You're blind. The church where Jesus is outside the door of his church, knocking to get back in his own church. The last days, church, in which there'll be a great falling away. But then what? Write the things which you have seen. Write the things which are. But then write the things which will take place after this. Revelation chapter 4. Look at verse 1. And after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus speaks to John, and it sounds like a trumpet. So John hears again the voice of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Come up here. And I will show you the things that will take place after this. After what? After church history. After the seven stages of church history, what will happen? Believers will hear the voice of Jesus. Come up here. What the Bible calls the rapture of the church. The catching away of the church. What will it be like at the rapture of the church? What is it like for believers who are now with the Lord? The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What are those believers seeing And what will you and I see at the rapture of the church? We will see what John saw, a glimpse of glory. And when you keep that in mind, when you set your mind on that, it gives you hope as a pilgrim. It helps you to understand things are not out of control But everything is unfolding just as God has planned and purposed it. What did John see when he was caught up into heaven? He saw three things he saw a throne, he saw a scroll, and he saw a lamb, a throne, a scroll and a lamb the first thing john saw and what we will see is a throne look in revelation chapter 4 verse 2 through 8 and verse 2 immediately i was in the spirit and behold a throne it was set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there was like jasper and like a Sardustone stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne and in appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunder and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature was like the face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like the fly, like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, are full of eyes with, around and within. Stop there for a moment. Throne, 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 throne. You see that word repeated again and again and again. The word throne is found 46 times in the book of Revelation. The word throne is found more in the book of Revelation than any other book in the Bible. And the word throne is found 12 times. In Revelation chapter 4. There is no chapter in the Bible where you find the word throne more than in Revelation chapter 4. When John was caught up into heaven, the very first thing he saw. What captivated his mind, his heart, his focus and attention was the throne of God. And he saw several things. He saw who was on the throne. He saw what came from the throne. He saw what was before the throne and he saw what was around the throne. He saw who was on the throne. Look, if you will, again in verse 2, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne and he who sat there, was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. Who did he see? He saw God. No man can really see God, as the Bible says, because God is spirit. But he saw a manifestation, a manifestation of God, because the Bible says that God is light. Psalm 104 and verse 2 says, He robes himself in light. In 1 Timothy 6, and verse 16, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light. And John says, I saw something on the throne. It looked like jasper. The word translated jasper is better translated diamond. And if there's anything you know about diamonds, when you shoot light through a diamond, out from that diamond comes all of the colors in this spectrum of the rainbow. John says, I, I saw a throne, and out of that throne was every color I could ever imagine. But one color especially, the color sardis. He says, and one who sat there on the throne, verse 3, was like jasper and a sardis stone. Sardis is a deep, deep blood-colored red. The dominant color he saw coming out of the throne was that red color. But he not only saw who was on the throne, he saw what was going from the throne. Notice, if you will, in verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings, And voices, he saw the lightning going out. And the minute it went out, all of the thunderings that was there. And he heard all of these loud voices. But he not only saw who was on the throne and what was coming from the throne. He saw what was in front of it. He saw what was before it. Notice, if you will, in verse 5. From the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. But then seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne. Right in front of the throne are these seven lamps. And these seven lamps are the Spirit of God, spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. He saw these seven lamps in front of the throne. And they represent the seven spirits of God. Now, there aren't seven spirits of God. There's only one spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit in the Bible is described as a sevenfold spirit. In Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit is described as, one, the spirit of the Lord, two, the spirit of wisdom, three, the spirit of understanding, four, the spirit of counsel, five, the spirit of mind, six, the spirit of knowledge, seven, the spirit of the of. Of the Lord, the seven, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but there were seven lamps across to let you know the Holy Spirit was there. God the Father was on the throne. You could see the light going out and the red going out, and you could see the seven lamps, and underneath the lamps, and all around the throne, as far as the eye could see, was a sea of crystal. Notice verse six, and before the throne there was a sea of glass, like a crystal. Sea of glass, a sea of crystal representing the infinite holiness of God in every direction, spreading out as far as you could see. God is holy. But John not only saw who was on the throne and what was coming from the throne, and what was before the throne, he saw. What was around the throne? There was a rainbow. There were elders and living creatures. Around the throne there was a rainbow, verse 3. And he who sat on the throne was like jasper and like a sard stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. The rainbow, of course, you know, after Noah's flood, God gave a sign, the rainbow, to show... The God is merciful in judgment. He's always merciful in judgment. And this rainbow went around the whole way around the throne, but it had kind of this beautiful green hue to it. But not only was there a rainbow around the throne, there were, elders around the throne. Notice, if you will, in verse 4, and around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Who are these 24 elders? There are some who would suggest that they are angels. Not so, because these elders sit on thrones, wear crowns, in chapter 5 and verse 9, are called redeemed and are wearing white. And that is true only of believers. This is a picture of blood-bought saints. This is a picture of the raptured church. This is a picture of believers who have gone before us, and you and I, when we're caught up to beat the Lord in the air, we will one day sit on thrones, as we'll see, ruling and reigning with Jesus. We will be crowned with crowns, a Stephanos, a victor's crown. We will be redeemed, Labbat saints, and will be dressed in white, the white righteousness of Christ. Say, why 24? Well, in the Old Testament, in First Chronicles 24, there were 24 groups of priests, so it was representative of a whole group. But it may suggest 12 from the tribes of Israel, 12 from the apostles, to show that blood-bought saints are both Jew and Gentile. But John not only saw around the throne this rainbow, and these 24 elders, he saw four living creatures, Verse six, and before the throne and the sea of glass like crystal and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third living creature like a man. The fourth living creature like an eagle. The careful student of the Bible immediately connects this passage with Ezekiel 1. Because in, when Ezekiel was in Babylon, he had a vision. He was caught up into heaven. And he saw four living creatures. He called them cherubim, one of the highest ranks of angels there are. And each one of the angels had four different faces. A lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. Interesting, four faces. And what they represent? The representative, listen, of the four gospels. Because Matthew is a lion-like gospel that begins the New Testament with a roar and shows that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The gospel of Mark is an ox-like gospel because Jesus is the suffering servant. The gospel of Luke is a man-like gospel which shows that Jesus took on our humanity to suffer like you and me. And Dr. Luke knew all about that. And the gospel of John is an eagle-like gospel showing that Jesus is high above all things. And John, he sees these living Creatures, come up here, Jesus said. And immediately, throne, 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 he saw the throne of God. He saw the Father on the throne. He saw lightning and thunders and voices coming from the throne. In front of the throne, he saw seven lamps representing the Holy Spirit. He saw a sea of glass representing the holiness of God. He saw a rainbow around the throne showing God is merciful in his judgment. He saw blood-bought saints sitting on their thrones dressed in white and crowned around that throne. And he saw angelic creatures beyond describing around the throne. And what happened? Well, verse 8, the four living creatures each had six wings and were full of eyes around and within and they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 three times holy. (laughs) Not two times holy, not five times holy, three times holy because God the Father is holy. God the Son is holy. God the Holy Spirit is holy. Day and night, holy, 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 Day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and lives forever and ever. The 24 elders, the blood-bought saints, you and me, They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. John is on a rock out in the middle of the ocean wondering what in the world is happening. What is going on in my life? And God gives him a vision. Come up here and take a look at the throne. Dear ones, I have a good message for you today. When you look around at our world and you look around at your life, just lift your eyes to heaven and remember God is still on the throne. Can anybody say amen to that? He's still on the throne. What an encouragement. What a blessing. What hope it gave to John. But he not only saw a throne. He saw a scroll. If Revelation 4 and 5 were like a movie, you would have this panorama of all this is going on. And then all of a sudden, the camera would zoom in to the one sitting on the throne, it would zoom right in to something that he's holding in his right hand. John sees a scroll. If the key word in chapter 4 is throne, the key word in chapter 5 is a scroll. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, scroll, and it was written on the inside and on the back, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, the the first people reading the book of Revelation, the instant they read that, they knew exactly what this was. Because in ancient times, Roman wills, when a person died and left an inheritance, a Roman will was made on a scroll and it was sealed with a seal. On the inside of the scroll was written out all of the inheritance that would be given to the inheritor. It was sealed up, and on the outside, the qualifications of the person who was going to inherit the inheritance were given. And only the inheritor could break the seals and open the scroll. The seals were made of melted wax and pressed in with the signet of the person who was giving out the inheritance. And often the inheritance would include many things, but especially the property that was owned by the man passing on the inheritance. And in this particular case, it would have included the title deed for the earth. Because the Bible says in Psalm 24 in verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof And all those who dwell therein, God created all things and therefore all those things and all those people belong to him. But he wants to pass that along to an inheritor. And only the person who was worthy to be the inheritor could open, could take, and could open that scroll. Chapter 5, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel. We don't know which angel that was. It might be Gabriel because the name Gabriel means strength of God. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scrolls and to loose its seals. The scroll is being held by God who owns all things. The earth is the Lord's and all those who dwell therein. And those who dwell therein are sinners. See, God created all things. It belongs to him. But God, in his wisdom, decided that he would let man be his vice region, his vice ruler, his temporary manager over everything that he owns. But man, in sinning against God in the Garden of Eden, handed over that management that rulership that dominion to satan so that in 2nd corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 paul would say satan is the god of this age so that john would say in 1st john chapter 5 and verse 19 the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one temporarily god has allowed satan control And so John sees this scroll. He hears this angel who is worthy to open the scroll. If God, if the scroll belongs to God, the inheritor has to be divine. If God created man, the inheritor has to be man. If man is sinful, the inheritor has to be a redeemer. Where's the divine one? Where's the human one? Where's the redeemer? The people are all sinful. Who's redeemed those people? The angel says, who's worthy to do that? Is there anyone here worthy to do that? In verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. In verse 4, John says, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. No one worthy. (laughs) No one worthy And John says, I wept much. I wept much. He just began to sob and sob and sob and sob. And I believe the tears that John was weeping in that moment or the tears of the ages, I believe. They began with Adam and Eve who wept when Cain killed Abel. I believe they're the tears that Noah wept when he saw the world destroyed by the flood the tears of God's people throughout history who would cry out to God again and again, how long, Lord? How long will you let it be this way? How long will you let evil prevail? How long will you let Satan have a sway? How long will it be this way? And John wept because in that moment, is it always going to be this way? Is there ever going to be an end to this? But only one would be worthy. Only one would be worthy, and that is the Son of God. John saw a throne. He saw a scroll. But then he saw a lamb. A lamb. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 4, So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or read the scroll or to look in it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and open its seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all The earth there, John, is standing weeping. How long, how long is it always going to be this way? And one of the elders says to him, don't weep, stop weeping. Stop weeping, there is one. Why? Because the Old Testament told exactly what was going to happen. In Psalm 2 and verse 7, God said, God the Father said of God the Son, you are my Son. Psalm 2 and verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, it says that Jesus is the inheritor of all things. And the elder says, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah is here. Jacob had 12 sons. The fourth son's name was Judah. From Judah's line would come David. From David's line would come Messiah. So he's called the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. When John turns to look, he's looking for a lion, but that's not what he sees. (laughs) He sees a lamb. His first coming, Jesus was the lamb. And his second coming, he will be the lion. And he looks and he sees there's a lamb. It stood as though, verse 6, it had been slain, having seven horns. An animal, in ancient times and even now, the horn was a sign of its strength. The bigger the horn, the more strength, the more powerful it was. Seven of them represented perfect strength. This lamb had all power. And not only that, not only had seven horns, he had seven eyes. Eyes are what you see, eyes are what you know. So he not only had all power, he had all wisdom. And it came because of the seven spirits of God. Again, God doesn't have seven different spirits. He has one spirit, the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold spirit of God that rested upon the Lamb of God. John the Baptist had said of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now John the Apostle sees the slain Lamb who had done that very thing. And what Does the Lamb do? (laughs) Oh, so great. So awesome. Verse 7. Then, capital H, He, the Lamb, then He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of Him who sat on the throne. have a word for that. Awesome. He walked right up. And took it out of the hand of God the Father. It wasn't handed to him. (laughs) The lamb took a hold of that. The worthy lamb of God. The divine, human, redeeming lamb of God. Oh, in John's heart in that moment, it must have exploded inside. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? And then the lamb shows up. Then the lamb shows up and he takes The scroll, and the instant he takes the scroll, heaven erupts in praise and honor and glory to the Lamb. In verse 7, Then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, which signifies worship, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Pause there for a moment. This is so... Incredible, this is so amazing, this is so wonderful. They each have harps, but they each have bowls. They are golden bowls, and in the golden bowls are incense, and those golden bowls of incense are the prayers of the saints. Do you know your prayers are so precious to God, he keeps them in golden bowls in heaven? Gold the most precious of metals, the most expensive of metals, and the more precious the contents, the more precious the container. And your prayers are so precious to God. Those ones early in the morning, those ones late at night, those ones for your prodigal kids, those ones for healing, those ones for provision. The prayers, listen, the prayers of all the saints. Listen, they're kept in those bowls. So precious are them. Not one of them lost. They're in heaven. They're there right now. Your prayers are there. My prayers are there. I find that amazing. The prayers of Adam are in that bowl. The prayers of Noah are in that bowl. The prayers of Abraham are in that bowl. The prayers of David are in that bowl. The prayers of Isaiah are in those bowls. The prayers of Matthew and John and Paul and Peter are in those bowls. The prayers of Martin Luther are in those bowls. The prayers of John Wesley are in those bowls. The prayers of Charles Spurgeon are in those bowls. The prayers of Billy Graham are in those bowls. The prayers of Chuck Smith are in those bowls. And your prayers are in those bowls. So precious are they to God. And the golden bowls were full of incense. Because prayer in the Bible is likened to incense. In Exodus 30 and verse 8, God told Moses, when you make the tabernacle, make an altar of incense. It was to go in the holy place right before the veil, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And God told him, you're to make that incense of frankincense, myrrh, and precious spices. And you're to always have that incense burning. In Psalm 141 and verse 2, David said, let our prayer be to you as incense. In Luke 1 and verse 10, when the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, was offering incense, the people were praying at the same time. Why? Because prayer is like incense to God. Your prayer is so precious to God, he keeps it in golden bowls. And your prayers are so precious to God, they're like the holy incense. Today, after service, when some gather right out here in front and begin to pray for their prodigals, prayers are filling up those bowls. Incense is going up toward heaven. On Thursday, when you gather here for the National Day of Prayer, prayers are going into those bowls. Incense is going up to God. And John saw it. He saw the living creatures and the elders. He saw their harps. He saw the golden bowls full of incense verse 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us to be kings and priests to our gods, and we shall reign on the earth. And John says, Then I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Stop there for a moment. That might not be important to you, but the first readers of this book, that was very important to them. John was writing in Greek and in ancient Greek, 10,000 was the largest number they knew He said, take the largest number you know, multiply it by the largest number you know, and add a whole bunch more. It would be like saying, a gazillion times a gazillion, a zillions, a zillions. And John saw it. He saw all the angels. He saw the living creatures. He saw all the blood-bought saints. And one day you're going to see it. One day I'm going to get to see it. And all the troubles and cares of this life, they seem so small, so puny, so insignificant. When your eyes are lifted up and you begin to think about heaven, what's going to happen in heaven, what heaven will be like. John says, verse 11, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Somebody says, Pastor Larry, how come you preach so loud? Well, the Bible talks about a loud voice. How can you not be loud when you're talking about heaven? How can you not be loud when you're talking about Jesus? How can you hold back when you're talking about the glory that awaits you and me? They said with a loud voice, verse 12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and honor and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and as such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. <laughs> Amen said those mighty, unique peculiar angelic beings and the 24 elders, that's you and me, that's the bloodlot saints, the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him forever and ever. Can't wait to do it. <laughs> can't wait to do it. How many want to join me right there? Before the throne of God, can't wait to do it. <laughs> to worship the Lamb who redeemed us who bought us at a great price, who brought us to heaven. Oh, dear ones, this world is not our home. It's not our home. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims. And when you're a pilgrim and you're on your journey, you can look at things and it can get discouraging, it can get perplexing, it can be troubling. When you look at your circumstance and your situation and you look at the world and you think, man, this is this is crazy. This is out of control. Oh dear ones, when you get in places like that, I felt I felt God telling me, go over to Covina, go over to Cornerstone and remind them of the hope of heaven. Whenever you get in a place like that, run to Revelation 4 and 5. Take a look at the throne and remember God is still on the throne. Take a look at the scroll and realize there's only one person who's worthy to take that scroll and take a look at the Lamb. Because the Lamb is the one who's worthy of all of our praise and all of our glory, all of the honor and all of the adoration. And one day, everything described in these chapters, you will see, (laughs) whether it's because you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, or whether it's because we're all raptured to be with him. Listen, this world is not our home. But one day, One day we're going to be home. And when you get home, it will make all the difference in the world. The story is told of a great missionary. His name was Henry Morrison. And Henry Morrison felt a burden to go to Africa. And he and his wife went over to Africa. And for 40 years, they preached the gospel in Africa. They braved disease and danger, and saw multitudes of people come to saving faith in Christ. But after 40 years, their health was failing, and they needed to come back to the States, and so they booked passage on a ship to head for New York. Well, little did they know when they booked passage on that ship that the President of the United States at that time, Teddy Roosevelt, was on the very same ship. Teddy Roosevelt was a big game hunter, and he went over to Africa and was doing some hunting, and he was on his way back to New York. And when the ship pulled into the harbor in New York, there was a tremendous celebration for the president. There were all of these banners, welcome home, Mr. President. There was a marching band, there were dignitaries, and there were cheers and applause. Welcome home, Mr. President. But Henry Morrison and his wife They walked down the gangplank alone. No one there to say, welcome home. No one there to say, well done. They hailed a cab to go to the small apartment the missionary agency had reserved for them. And on the way to the apartment, Henry was very quiet in the car and his wife, after all those years, could read her husband pretty well as... Wives often can. She knew something was bothering him, and when they had got into the apartment, she said, what's the matter, honey? He said, well, it's not fair. It's not right. We've given everything to serve the Lord. We went over to Africa, and we faced all of these disease and danger, and all these people come to Christ, and we come home. There's no sign that says, welcome home. There's no fanfare. There's nobody to say, well done. It's just not right, he said. She was a wise woman. She said, well, don't tell me. Tell the Lord. <laughs> so he went into the bedroom, and he closed the door. He just laid himself across the bed, began to pour out his soul to God. And after about 10 minutes, he came out of the room, and there was just this glow on his face. His wife said to him, honey, what happened? What happened? He said, well, I went in there and, and I just began pouring out of my heart to God. You know, when we got home, there was nobody to welcome us. When we got home, there was nobody who said, well done. And he said, as I was pouring out of my heart to God, he said, I, I just sensed the Lord whisper to me, Henry, you're not home yet. I felt I was supposed to come remind you, you're not home yet but one day, one day, we'll be home. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for Revelation 4 and 5, this glimpse of glory, this hope of heaven. And Lord, I pray that right now as we come to just spend a moment worshiping you, Thinking about heaven, looking forward to all that is ahead. We're so mindful that eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, hasn't entered the heart of man all the things that you have prepared for those who love you. Lord, we pray as we worship you, then our minds, our hearts, we would look toward heaven. So we're just waiting on the Lord. I'm going to have the worship team come and lead us in a song that we sang earlier. What will it be like? What will it be like? What will it be like when we see the throne? What will it be like when we see the Lamb? What will it be like when all the cares, the concerns, the tears, the troubles, the trials of life are gone? Let's set our affection on things above. Let's worship the Lord and think of heaven.